Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In. Once a podcast on the IMDb 250, then less of a podcast on the IMDb 250, and now no more 250 at all. This is instead a podcast about that face on your fucking face. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> I am your host, Tyler Hannon. With me today is my co-host, both of my co-hosts, Kayla St. Ange. Hi. And Lauren Malisi. Hi. <laughs> That was so great. We didn't know that you were going to do that. And it was very good. No, much. <laughs> um, yes. So we, oh <laughs> we had a really fun time a couple of weeks ago where Lauren was in the same state and I was able to hang out with her in person. And we talked about how nobody really, including us, enjoys the IMDb 250. We kind of enjoy the 250 we sometimes. We kind of enjoy it. I... I'm going to say this right now. I'm so sorry, Tyler Hannon. I could give, I couldn't give a, I couldn't, I couldn't give less of a fuck about the IMDb 250. I, oh, I don't really care that much about the 250. <laughs> Tyler has IMDb 250 tattooed on his arm, so he is in tears right now. No, I'm just kidding. On his chest, shaved into his chest hair. <laughs> but yes, so uh, basically we wanted to make this more fun for everybody, for guests, for us as hosts. And I don't know, I think that so far we have a lot of interesting ideas in the pipeline already just from removing that thing. So you could think of this as your podcast of friends telling you which films to let into your heart. There aren't that many of those. So it's really <laughs> our, we're feeling a, a, a market inefficiency in having a movie podcast where a bunch of friends just sit around without any real direction. <laughs> no. Okay. So actually when, when Tyler and I first conceptualized Let the Right Films In, that was an idea that we had where we would like vote at the end of every review if we were going to like let it in. <laughs> kind of like the kids. Oh no! no. So now you can just assume now you can just assume oh, that any no. movie we're talking about has been let in. Wait, have you guys even done a, a, a you guys? I'm on this podcast now. Um, have we even done a let the right one in episode? We no. have not actually. What? Okay, well, Halloween. It's got to be a really it's, special episode yeah. when we do that. <laughs> yeah, it does. We, we got to get the little girl to like to be a guest on it. I'm pretty loath to actually do movies that aren't on the IMDb 250, or I was. So that's why, you know, we never did any movies that weren't on <laughs> the IMDb 250. Not once. Wild. Alas, that's but now, now it's gone. Well, in that vein, <laughs> we're going to talk about, we're going to still do the stuff that you like our recently watched section which everybody loves and is never too long <laughs> uh, great movie discussions with great uh i don't know thoughts incredible thoughts <laughs> is that a tease for an upcoming podcast yeah maybe and uh some, we'll still do some trivia we'll still do some other stuff so yeah this week we are going to be talking about the buzziest movie of the year Ari Aster's Hereditary. But before we get into that, uh, Lauren, what have you seen recently that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, I have a million. I feel like I have a million things to recommend. But I saw Ocean's 8 um, on Thursday, and it. I was so surprised at how much I enjoyed it. It is a feel good girl power. Oh, it's like it's super diverse and like they just oh it, the writing is really good. I was not expecting to like have zero complaints about this film. That is awesome. I'm super excited to see it. I haven't seen it yet. And every time I watch the trailer, all I can think about is like how much lesbian energy that Sandra Bullock and Kate Blanchett are displaying together at all times. The whole time I was like, kiss. 
kiss. I'm pretty so sure didn't Vulture or someone did an article which that has the headline "Who has the most lesbian energy?" <laughs> I've been saying lesbian energy all the time because every female character on Law and Order SVU has intense lesbian energy, pretty much. So <laughs> happy pride. I'm super. So you're telling me there is no kissing? No. Well, actually, actually, Anne Hathaway does some like awesome shit. <laughs> so that's all I will say. Who did Who did you like most in the movie? Who had the most lesbian energy? Who had the most? Honestly, Anne Hathaway. It's legit. I thought she was gonna make out with every single person she came into contact. Well, so I think we're pretty big proponents of Anne Hathaway on this podcast. Too, yeah, I love Anne Hathaway. Like, unjustly, everyone. <laughs> yeah, I love Anne Hathaway. Many people hate her for Dumb trying. I my roommate told me that, and I was just like, "Really? Isn't she like an American treasure?" No, she tries. She, she tries so hard. <laughs> like, why is she trying so hard in Les Mis? You know, that's hamming it up in a musical. I don't know. Hamming it up. Yeah. It's it's like literally people just don't like her because she's like a nice person. It's very silly. Oh. I I can't can't really. I would watch a movie where Anne Hathaway and Kate Blanchett made out. I would yeah, honestly, I would watch a movie with any combination of all of those women where they made out. See, I just don't like Anne Hathaway because I can't relate to being a nice person. <laughs> what is what is that movie coming out where two very like attractive A list A list uh, actresses like totally it's get it on in the trailer? Yeah, it's disobedience. Yeah, I was here and I missed it okay. because it was only here for like a week. Kayla's not a true film fan. Ruined my life. It'll probably be on Amazon Prime soon. Well, Kayla, they really needed to show uh, I Love Dogs for eight straight weeks and the the, I can't, the death of Stalin for 12 straight weeks. The, the art theater downtown recently did a similar rebrand where they were like, we're not just an art theater, we're a cool theater too. So the same four movies have been playing since March? Very few movies <laughs> for the most part about these theaters. Very few, but disobedience only for a week. Maybe it was a business it decision. Didn't, it didn't even play but... there. It played at Cinemark. Oh. <laughs> so they really dropped the ball. I mean, that. it makes sense it was at Cinemark for a week. I, I guess I'm surprised that the Michigan and the state didn't get it. I'm hoping that maybe they'll get it later because they got A Quiet Place much later. Yeah, but they do, that's, they do that usually when it's like a really big movie that did surprisingly well. Like they added Get Out like a couple months after it came out. So those like surprisingly big hit movies, mm-hmm. occasionally they will add those much after the fact for, you know, the true stands who only see movies yeah. there. Yeah, this is already such a tangent, but can I just say how tired I am of seeing the trailer for A Quiet Place? Can I just talk about how tired I am of seeing the trailer for Mission Friggin' Impossible? <laughs> Hard disagree. Actually, we got, when we went to see Hereditary again yesterday, we got a different trailer for Mission Impossible, so it was slightly better because it was at least different. I like I could I could really give a fuck about Tom Cruise and like his mole pimple thing and like him like killing people like I don't care I don't care you're a Scientologist good night okay continue <laughs> my dad is like low-key obsessed with Tom Cruise and I'm pretty sure it's just because he is also a shorter white man and so Tom Cruise is his relatable <laughs> action star he also is obsessed with Bruce Willis and I think that's because my dad is bald <laughs> so those oh. are his two big heroes. is your dad hot um, I'm gonna not answer that question because I don't have a good answer for it. I would think, you no, know, I'm not gonna answer that. Question. I just think Bruce Willis. I just think Bruce Willis. For the purposes <laughs> of discomfort, I'm gonna say that Kayla's dad is fucking banging. He's like, he's just the thank, hottest person I've you. ever seen in my life. I can't imagine anybody being able to resist him. Kayla, what do you think? Uh, he is buff. He works on fire trucks. And anyway, Tyler, what have you seen recently? <laughs> 
Oh, this okay. is happened. Tyler started out hosting the episode and then immediately lost it. So now I have to do it. <laughs> hey, you know what? The IMDb 250 Ooh, is, uh, you know, rest, rest in peace. We, we will miss it. It is. We may have lost it from this podcast, but the tangents and the explicit warning are still here. <laughs> the explicit warning will never die. Speaking of things that we talk about all the time and just are really can help ourselves on uh, Plumhouse, big fan of the studio. They do really good movies. They have a really good podcast. I saw Upgrade, uh, which is the Lee Winnell directed. Um, Logan Marshall Green. Thank you. Is that the guy from the other movie that we did the episode on? The, the invitation. invitation, yeah. So the okay. Lee Winnell directed the invi- uh, the invitation starring uh, <laughs> the invitation star starring in this movie Logan Marshall Green with a much different look. Uh, it is a movie about like a it's a near future. Uh, kind of speculative fiction world in which you got a lot of self-driving cars and fancy technology. Everybody's got implants in their bodies. Uh, and this guy, very familiar in a certain sense, and that is a story of a man who must recover from a grievous injury and uh, wreak vengeance on those who have wronged him, unraveling uh, mystery along the way. Uh, but in this case, it is, he is also implanted with something called STEM, which is basically an AI that controls his body and makes it so he can walk again, which is not a spoiler. It's really the premise of the movie. And it's just very effective, both as a, a very gory, schlocky B-movie. It's also really good at the near future stuff it presents, the uh, the technological ideas it has. It's... It, it is a really fun, trashy B-movie that is also surprisingly smart and canny. And uh, I'm really glad it got... I'm not, I don't have the box office numbers, but I'm really glad at least critically and in reviews it did really well because for something that could have been so silly or so trash, it's actually really fun and effective. And I, a lot of respect for Logan Marshall Green. Uh, I, I mean, he looks like just another, you know another dude like like an off-brand chris almost um or i guess in this case off-brand tom hardy but between this and the invitation and even his small part in spider-man um he's been making really interesting and good choices and i keep i hope he keeps doing stuff like this because i think he's pretty effective at it maybe not like the best thing in any of those movies but recognizing uh a good thing and really putting in the effort he the way he operates when the a the way he moves when the ai is controlling his body um it reminds me like we talk about that with other ai movies like uh, alicia vikander vikander and ex machina and things like that it's uh you could tell he's putting in the work of moving like a robot would move his body very precise concise actions and it's just very impressive and a lot of fun and more horror than i actually expected (laughs) there is some gnarly shit in there well, we love horror, so. <laughs> yeah, no, I'd definitely recommend going to see that. It's good. I have to go see it because Ben really wants to see it. I think Ben will enjoy it. Yeah. Actually, Ben will really like that. Yeah, it's Ugh. right up his alley. Oh, yeah. So We're going to do a double feature of that in Megalodon. Oh, also. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, are you, though? Oh, God. Ben is not kidding. <laughs> Ben's oh, not. <laughs> most importantly, though, I didn't even mention, it also stars Betty Gabriel, who is apparently, like, the go-to actress for Blumhouse. She's been in four Blumhouse movies with The Purge Electioneer, Get Out, Upgrade, and she's in the new Unfriended Dark Web. You know, I really Sorry, appreciate the what? Unfriended Dark Web. <laughs> They're doing a sequel to Unfriended. Apparently it's good. 
okay. You know, a lot of people said that Unfriended was good, and I don't trust any of them because it wasn't. But all right. <laughs> What's on? Is Unfriended the one with like the the chick is like a witch or something, like a, or a demon she's or a something? Skype ghost. And then she kills herself. No, she's a Skype ghost, and she kills oh. everybody over webcam. What's what's the movie with like there was like a the trailer was terrible but like this like odd girl like, she wants to be friends with like this like pretty like popular oh, girl bus, and like right? the girl like deletes her off Facebook. Oh, okay. <laughs> There's always like two right. movies that are just similar enough that come out at the same time. But yeah. And Friend Request was the even worse version of Unfriended. Yes. Great. But yeah, the Betty Gabriel is great. And <laughs> Blumhouse wants to just keep casting her and lead or co-lead roles in their movies, I would greatly appreciate that. Keep doing good work. Kayla, you have also seen something recently. I've seen, actually, I've been doing a really good job of watching movies, but the one that I specifically want to talk about, good job of watching movies. Like it's like, You've done so like it's well. work. <laughs> anyway, uh, at, we are lucky enough every summer in Ann Arbor to get the Cinetopia Film Festival that comes through. And the opening night event of the festival this year was a Midwest premiere of Bo Burnham's eighth grade, which is also an A24 film. So obviously you knew we were going to talk about this at some point. A24 and Blumhouse, way to go. <laughs> uh, it is in wide release in July. So don't distress about <laughs> not being able to see it for a long time. And it is a movie about literally me <laughs> in eighth grade. It was a really surreal experience because one, her, the, the lead character's name is Kayla Day. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that. It, I, it's a fun slice of life movie about what it's like to kind of be the odd duck out and about wanting to make something big out of your life at a time when like you don't really have the agency to do that. And I don't know. It was so poignant. It was very funny. Like the traditional Bo Burnham comedy stuff is there, but I also cried one minute into the movie just because I was so overwhelmed with empathy and understanding for this character because she is so perfect and awkward to a T of just like what I felt like I was in eighth grade, except she has social media and I had books and it's just, I don't know. I I was a little worried about it because obviously when you have a a man writing something like that, that's so specific, it can either be good or go horribly wrong. But we were also lucky enough that uh, Bo came out and did a QA and a afterwards and answered questions from like a moderator and then some from the audience. (laughs) Are you okay? (laughs) But something that really struck me was that he wasn't afraid to say that he wasn't sure or that he didn't know a lot of the answers to people asking about his writing process, the way that he made decisions about the characters and stuff like that. And eventually he kind of parted it down to eighth grade girls are a lot smarter than eighth grade boys. And he was like, I wanted to write a movie about what it would be like to be in eighth grade at this time. And it's easy because all of these kids are putting their entire lives on the internet. But when you look up eighth grade boys, they're talking about Halo and farts and girls are bearing their souls. So he said it was a pretty, and also that he doesn't really like to write from his own point of view, just because the white male point of view is boring and overdone. And I don't know, he just talked about like his relationship with the young actress that played Kayla and how, you know, they like, he wrote the script, like she wasn't doing a lot of improvising, but that she was the only actress he had tested that didn't look like they were confident pretending to be shy. (laughs) Like he was like, she very much just had 
that eighth grade nervous energy where you're just kind of afraid and (laughs) hoping for the best at all times. But yeah, this is, I will say it is anxiety inducing at times just because of how viscerally like painful it is to remember what it was like to be that age and going through these things and feeling like every little thing that went wrong was the worst thing that could ever happen to you. But it just, again, I spent 90% of the movie in tears while also laughing. And it was just a great cathartic experience. I think I'm going to put like a little Blu-ray shelf together for myself where I have like eighth grade Lady Bird and Francis Ha as like the trilogy of like Kayla's life <laughs> that I feel too deeply connected to. But yeah, so highly recommend, would love uh-huh. in July, everybody could go see that. Take the covers, put them in frames. Like, oh yes, these are my family photos. <laughs> these are me. <laughs> Well, I obviously don't blame you for being nervous because of that exact dynamic. Bo Burnham, from from his work that I've taken in before, seems like a very empathetic and intelligent person. No, uh, for sure. Emotionally, yeah. especially. So I am glad to hear that it went very well. And if I was going to be confident in anyone to do that, it might have been Bo Burnham, surprisingly. Yeah, Bo Burnham and John Mulaney are maybe the only good male comedians. So um, he also pretty okay. he also pretty much was like I hate comedy now and I was like yes me too I will miss his vines yeah <laughs> I gave I gave up after John Mulaney was like go see my friend Amy Schumer's new movie okay. I think they all have to be nice to each other it's fine I'm not that concerned about that her movie right. was trash though <laughs> okay. oh yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we can all agree on that I guess it was. At least he didn't say, go see my friend Louis C.K.'s new movie. This is true. <laughs> Amy Schumer is at least just yes. annoying. But yes. So I think the time is coming to talk about Lauren peeing. No, <laughs> <laughs> we, can. we can. We'll get to it. We're going to prevent a, a very neutral view of Lauren's accident. It's yes. going to be fine. And as you may have picked yeah. up, and we have not said once in this podcast, uh, we're going to cover maybe the most obvious movie there is for our podcast to cover, the brand new A24 horror movie, Hereditary. It's heartening to see so many strange new faces here today. I know my mom would be very touched and probably a little suspicious. My mother was a very secretive and private woman. It's grandma. You know you were her favorite, right? Even when you're a little baby, she wouldn't let me feed you because she needed to feed you. She was a very difficult woman, which maybe explains me. I recognize you from your mother. What? Sometimes I swear I can feel them in the room. Oh my God! Mom? I don't like this. Dad, I don't like this. What's happening? Hina! Don't you ever raise your voice to me! I am your mother! I just don't want to put any more stress on my family. Hereditary, as you might have heard and read and uh, experienced, is the brand new, much hyped, very upsetting, cinema score disappointing uh, (laughs) movie from A24. Made a big splash at Sundance where people, uh, I think, running out of theaters crying 
jumping out of windows, something like that. Receiving creepy dolls. Oh, yeah. Oh, all that good creepy doll stuff on Etsy. Who doesn't love it? Who doesn't love a good creepy doll? The brand new movie from A24, been directed by Ari Aster. This is his first time feature-length directorial work, although he's done a bunch of similarly upsetting uh, shorts before this. Uh, some of the big news that's come out in the last couple days, hours, is that it was A24's biggest opening movie at like 2,900 theaters, and it is now its biggest monetary opening as it's on its way to a $13 million weekend, which tops The Witch's $5.5 million. And I guess we'll get into it. Much like many other A24 horror movies, it is not quite what the trailer sold. It is critically well-received, and audiences kind of hate it. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll get... But really, I think... I think CinemaScore hates everything. I think CinemaScore only pulls idiots personally, but... <laughs> I will say in my like in my experience online, people seem to be liking this and feeling less uh, deceived in what they were getting with Hereditary than they were with The Witch or It Comes at Night. Yeah. And I think that's fair because while this movie is two hours long and the director rightfully calls it a family drama that dissolves into a nightmare. It is very much a horror movie that delivers all kinds of gore and scares and jumps. And mm-hmm. yeah, well, we will get into that. Lauren, as you are the, as you are the Hi. one who is so many States away, why don't you lead us off with what you thought of Red Terry and uh, how you reacted to it? Okay. Hi. I can't stop thinking about this movie. Like, I, it's funny because I watched A Quiet Place in a theater like a while ago, and it, it was a good movie to watch w- in a theater because, like, sometimes the audience reaction is so perfect and great, and it definitely was. Like, we were all tense, but I never thought about the movie again. I just, it doesn't, it's not one of the ones where I'm going to lay awake and be like, oh God, why did I watch that? Hereditary, I would, I, I should not. I'm really, I mean, I'm glad I watched it in a theater, but like at this, because the, oh God, the 4K, the surrounds was so scary. But the nervous laughing from everyone was so annoying. So annoying. Like, shut up. I, you're, I know you're scared and I know you're like male and I know it's a lot, but you need to like calm down. It bothered the hell out of me. But, um, I didn't, I didn't know what to expect and I, you know, because, like, whatever. I'm like, Tony Collette, love her, great, good, we'll go. Holy shit, like, I, the trailer was a complete lie, which I love because horror films have a reputation for giving the entire friggin' movie away in the trailer. Um, So I'm glad the trailer hardly told us anything. And I loved that I predicted nothing. Every single scene spooked the hell out of me completely shocked me i made many audible gasps and like so the funny thing though about the part where i peed there was a tweet where someone had said like very vaguely um oh so there's a part there's a part in the movie where like there's something scary but it's not apparent and the lady next to me is going no i saw that tweet too and and i so i was like in the back of my mind like looking for that scene you know and then so the scene comes and everyone's going oh my god you know and i'm like i don't see it like what 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 and then i see it and then the pee It was just a little bit, okay? It was just, it was just, it was just like a tinkle. (laughs) It was, it was just a scared little tinkle, okay? But, oh my, I can't think, the last time a movie scared me that much was Sinister, um, because they do a really good job of not showing, I can't think of his name, he's a dumbass name, 
but not sure we're gonna call him the scary guy for because i can't think of it right now um not showing him the entire movie and then when he's finally in frame like you end up leaning forward and then it is the scariest thing ever and i cried and buried my head in my mom's lap so this this was so so this is the perfect example of like good horror that does not have to rely on jump scares in order to be scary. I am so tired and exhausted by the James Wan brand of horror. We do not need jump scares. If you're relying on jump scares to scare your audience, there's something wrong with the writing. It does have a couple good jump scares though. But that's the thing, like once they're it, 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 it works. Like it's in the in the conjuring and Annabelle and all of those movies, every other scene is a jump scare. We don't need that. <laughs> you don't like a good like good horror movie does not need that. Yeah. Whereas Hereditary has like a few like really 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 good ones that I could like I yeah peed yeah. There you go. <laughs> and then some examples like the one that you know caused her little accident. It's like the opposite of a jump scare, where you jump when you see it, but it's there the whole time. Yeah. It just takes you a bit. I know. Uh, man. It's a, it's a sit scare? We ha- we saw this twice before we recorded uh, on opening night on Thursday. Because we love suffering. Yeah, honestly. I am glad that we watched it twice before recording. So we had to co- we had two very different audience experiences. And so before I talk about that, I just want to say that the, the first watch through of this movie... I was so tense the whole time that by the time it finally got to the part that was just outright scary, I was full on in like panic mode. I was nauseous when we left the theater just from being so like tense. And so I, I don't know. I felt like my heart was maybe going to give out. I have become just, dread. There's nothing left yeah, in besides was, dread. I have never <laughs> seen a movie the closest experience I've had to that is maybe it follows. And even that it follows is not the same kind of movie. Like Ooh. it is very much a dread building horror movie, but it's not, it's, it's a loud movie. It's a loud and a bright mm. movie. And it's about like teenagers and whatever. And this is just such a contained centralized story that I, on the second viewing, I found myself, in every scene, my eyes darting to the corners, trying to see if I had missed stuff from being so hyper-focused and so hyper-tense in the first place. And I don't know. It definitely is just one of those movies where I can already hear every complaint about it that people will have. And I already don't care at all because Mm -hmm. I think that one, I think that this is a movie that is so much about the trauma that women pass to each other and the grief that we kind of share as a gender, if that makes sense. And there are so many movies that are about men slowly losing their minds that I feel <laughs> like if this had been about the father, we wouldn't be hearing as many weird negative reactions. And maybe I that's, agree. Yeah, and like maybe that's just me reading a little bit too much into the criticisms of it. But I think that it's such a like specifically feminine movie (laughs) and it Mm -hmm. goes to those places the fear of motherhood the fear of you failing your own mother and your children and just all these anxieties that we live with on a daily basis dialed up to 10 when every single one of your worst fears (laughs) continues to come true Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, as far as our like audience experiences, we had a really like fun and interactive audience on the first viewing. Some of my favorite reactions, there was a guy who quietly whispered as Peter was driving home. Spoilers. From, well, obviously, yeah, don't listen to this fucking we podcast. We haven't spoiled anything yet. We've done a pretty good job. Okay, well, I'm going to, okay, this is your official 30 minutes into the podcast warning. Please Trust don't please. listen to this without watching the movie. It's very rewarding. You, you don't want to go into this movie blind. But anyway, so when Peter is driving home from the eponymous accident with Charlie, this guy behind me just watches him pull into the driveway and just quietly whispers, what is happening? <laughs> and then at one point during one of like one of the first uh, random tongue clocks, a girl behind us just screamed, like loudly screamed. <laughs> and then we did get some of the nervous laughter, but not, I think it doesn't seem like it didn't bother me. So I'm assuming you had much more pervasive nervous laughter. I did. Yes. Oh, God. And then, <laughs> I was going to say there are legitimately funny move, mo- mo- moments yeah. in the movie too. What was well, the yeah, scene yeah. that I like full body jumped out of my chair? Was that when she's first floating in the corner? Uh, no, the, no. Um, You jumped out of the chair uh, in the second one. Uh, during the like the big jump scare when she comes running out of the yeah, corner. Yeah, but in the, the first, you, I feel like in the, the first time we watched it, there was something We weren't else. sitting next to each other. Oh, fuck, that's right. Damn it. <laughs> Tyler's not going to know. He can't help me. But yeah, even the second time that we saw it, like I had been so, uh, there were already parts of it that I'd like forgotten because <laughs> I was so stressed out. <laughs> but yeah, uh, Tyler, what were your first impressions, I guess? Uh, longing for death, mostly. Um, <laughs> but How good. I, <laughs> You know, I think I think a lot of people in the movie can relate. Uh, you know, at a certain point, it's like, why, why bother? I think there are some valid complaints that could be made about the movie, but for the most part, I totally loved it as well. It is long, and it could have been even longer. Like, his initial cut was three hours, and he said there were 30 scenes left out, uh, which could add a lot to the movie. But also, I could see in the first hour if some people felt some pacing issues. But that's not... Why am I focusing on that? Uh, actually, I have a comment on that because I talked with Ben about this. My thought on the quote unquote pacing issues, I wonder almost if it was a specific artistic choice to make it drag a little bit because we are just kind of stranded with this family in their unending yeah. grief. And like when you're grieving, like that time is so slow and so horrible and every second is like a torture <laughs> to just continue being alive through. And I feel like they... Even like as I felt it maybe dragging, I felt like it was important that yeah. I was feeling that. I also felt the same way. I didn't think it. I didn't think it dragged at all. I, I do also want to say like I, I like I mostly could see some of that, but like I think I'm really, especially with what Kayla said, I'm in it for that entire time. And also pacing issues is like the most amateur hour go to. I talk about movies online, but I'm not actually a professional reviewer. Complaint that people bought at movies like ah, yeah. oh, you know they really could have cut 20 minutes off of that or something. Like I don't know. Sometimes that can be true, mm-hmm. but it's also just like the easiest, most basic thing you could say about anything. And it's it is one of those uh, critiques that I feel people say because they think it's smart and they think it makes it sound smart, but it's just they've heard it so many times that they're not even exercising any brain power to say it. Mm -hmm. Plus it reminded me very much of like between first and second viewing, I didn't really feel drag on the second viewing. And I think that a lot of it also was like my own anxiety making me be like, Oh my God, can we just like get it over (laughs) with? Like whatever's going to happen, please. Like I just need it to happen. So it'll be done. And the movie's about like the major themes are like grief and trauma and part of living through that and suffering through it. And 
long runtime definitely emphasizes that. Um, I think one of the major takeaways I have is just how neat the movie is. Um, for how like um, many people, including me, and, my, and with many things, will be rightfully kind of confused because they're. I think the movie comes together very neatly, but it's hard to see that as you're going through it. But man, especially seeing it again, it foreshadows so mm-hmm. many things and layers so many things in the beginning. Like the comments she so has much. about like both the things they actually say, mm-hmm. little things that they do. Like, I mean, my list here is the obviously the eulogy that she gives about the grandmother, uh, the thing with the nuts, even when she, there are multiple moments in the movie where they say shoes off, socks mm-hmm. off. The note that I forgot about that says the sacrifices will be worth the rewards that uh, Annie's mother left her, uh, the, the, the symbols throughout all the miniatures and the crafts. And it's just, it, it's almost distractingly neat how much is foreshadowed because that was at, at, after, at the end, that was one of the things I could, all I could think about was how much it tied together. Like the whole thing is of a piece and it's really impressive. Um, even as I still have a few questions, and obviously a bunch of the technical stuff is really cool too. The framing device of the dollhouse and like the, how they filmed the dollhouse in the very opening scene, besides being very cool echoes throughout with how they film some of the family moments where it pulls out, like you're viewing from the edge of a dollhouse, the sound mix mm-hmm. stuff they do. This is an, yeah, <sighs> this is a gorgeous movie and it's like so technically proficient that it is almost insane to me that it's somebody's first movie. Oh, it's their first movie. Yeah. He's only done sh- shorts before this. Oh, my god like it's like it's yeah the the level of obsession that seemed to have gone into just the littlest details throughout the sets and the which is i guess if you want to like take the miniature thing to the full end is like this this film is his miniature oh yeah so it makes sense that there are just so many little things like the lighting is i think the the lighting is the number one standout thing just because from uh, having to understand first of all how to use the camera and the lighting equipment that you have and then to also have a very clear understanding of how the human eye and the human brain like adjusts and reacts to things because the the big scene that we the, all three of us mentioned is Tony Collette floating in the corner right before you know the, the now <laughs> and uh that my favorite part of that in our first very reactive audience was everybody in the theater at different times realizing she was there and gasping as everybody's eyes yeah. adjusted differently and just that is the scene that has stuck with me for days i have not had a good night's sleep in like three days because i keep thinking every, i wake up like every hour convinced tony collette is floating over me <laughs> that's what made that's what made me pee <laughs> the moment i realized she was there i i uh-huh, that ended me with the with the pacing i really love that right up front we got the apparition of the grandmother and that scared the shit the bejesusing shit out of me when i got when we got back to our dark ass apartment i turned all the lights on and I was like, all right, my grandmother is not anywhere in this house. We're okay. Um, I was so terrified. And then, so we get that first, like, scare up, like, right up top. And then we don't get a scare for a while. Then it's quiet for a while. And then I, so because we were hit with that at the beginning, now I'm anxious. And now I'm really anxious. And now I'm just, like, 
just rocking back and forth like in my seat and then and I think that's what makes the accident so shocking and so like effective because there was so much like space between that first scare and then that like I wasn't expecting it at all and also we got so like very moored there because the trailers all made it look like this whole movie was going to be about like the grandma possessing the dog the granddaughter and to have her just like wasted 20 minutes in was wild it's like the psycho shower comparisons like i don't know that i've ever seen a movie where it's more apt oh my god and i feel like you could watch this movie it's just a straightforward event to event but i feel like there's so much to unpack in every little thing that happens just like Ben mentioned to me, he was like, we're going to have to watch this movie a hundred more times until I can figure out who all in the background are cult members. He's like, I can't rest until I know which ones are. I know creepy smile guy at the funeral is. Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. Gotta get a smile like that. You're going to work as a horror extra for years. Oh gosh. The, The second time we watched it, we took my brother and he sat between me and Ben and it was just so funny to like know what was coming and just wait for him to react to things. And I felt kind of bad, but it was also hilarious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the second audience we saw the movie with was so cool. They were unnaturally quiet, not a gasp or a move or anything amongst them. It was literally just us. 10 a.m. with a bunch of old folks. And then I felt like an asshole the whole time, but I was like, I'm making like appropriate noises. Like I'm not talking or anything. But yeah. It was just so bizarre how, like, they didn't even move. I was like, are you in this cult? Like, I don't know. <laughs> so a few got unsettled when they played with the sound mix and had the scribbling behind us, you know, because at first you're like, is someone, yeah. someone doing behind me? Which That's what I thought, too. I was so scared. <laughs> which is probably why more movies don't do that, but because no movies do that, and I didn't, like, it hadn't even occurred to me that they could. Ugh, that was so effective. Oh, the God. alternating clucks on either side as well were so good <laughs> like even the first time we watched it there were even a couple times where i was like trying to see like i thought maybe somebody was just doing it yeah. to be a dick yep. <laughs> it's a fine line to walk when you talk about so like now we are so caught up in having the conversation or like preemptively avoiding the conversation is it a horror movie or is it not i mean this clearly is but like the director he, spe- he, like, he likes to say that he's not specifically a horror director, but, like, the things he wants to make are, like, easier to sell. Or, like, this movie was easier to sell in horror because, like, the first 10 scripts he did or something didn't get picked up. But also, I think he's, it seems very clear he's drawn to very dramatic, traumatic stuff that will have uh, those elements of horror no matter what. But the fa- like the family drama, like, calling it a family drama that dissolved into a nightmare is very apt because the family dynamics in this are so well realized mm-hmm. both in the actual trauma that they visit upon each other but even just the smaller relationships between them how how they relate to each other even we don't get a lot of like brother sister stuff between charlie and peter but like when he's carrying out of that her out of the house and rushing to the hospital I, I i was surprised so we spend so much of this movie with this family as it's falling apart that i was surprised at how much i cared that it was falling apart like i loved all of those characters and it made me so heartbroken to watch their family just kind of implode and then like literally you know all die <laughs> but I, I feel like we had so little time to observe them as regularly how they must have been before that it it just felt like such an interest like I I felt like so invested in them and I I think that's such an interesting and good example of like how great the writing is that we only get to see probably the worst versions of all of these characters and yet we care about them so much yes Tony Collette's faces throughout this entire movie are insane 
Tony Collette is a star. Oh, oh my, yeah, the the, the dinner, dinner, the dinner scene. That's gonna be her Oscar reel. First of all, that if that's not the Oscar reel, I don't know what else from the movie would be. And another, like one of the best great examples of just like the really sadistic humor. And so that, maybe not quite sadistic, but man, some of the humor, humorous moments in this are just so grim that you laugh and. <laughs> cringe at the same there time there is a lot of 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 humor in this movie and, and i like that because it, it it made it viewable i think i think without any levity this would be an impossible to watch movie mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like it feels very natural i think we say this every time there's like a very upsetting horror movie with some comedy but like that's how many people would approach and react to things yeah so. and that's the other thing too is i feel like this movie does a really good job of painting like a very realistic portrait of how you would react and in this situation if you had been raised this way and if you would experience the things you would experience also i hope that tony collette never sneers at me that way that she sneers oh my god i know it broke my heart i was like okay i was like don't look at me like that ever (laughs) not that tony collette will ever look at me but you know in your nightmares right can we talk about all of the little hints and things we were given throughout the entire movie that lead up to the ending that people are mad about? The, I only have like, I, I wrote down the words that are written on the wall, but the one thing that I noticed early on the second time we watched it that made me feel like they were always, always being watched no matter what. When Peter is in his room mm-hmm. smoking pot, he blows a cloud of smoke mm-hmm. out the window and then from the other side of the screen, you can see somebody's like mm-hmm. cold air breath, like the condensation from the other side of the screen. And the first time I saw it, I missed it because I thought it was just the pot smoke. Yes. But the second time, it scared the shit out of me because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, there's somebody there just like watching him. There's also a security camera outside Tony's door. Yeah. And, like You only see it for a second, but it's very purposefully there. It's funny because my roommate is the one that started point- She After we like got home, she ran into my room and she was like, all of the movie blogs are wrong. And here is what I think. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. And this is specifically about the fact that the whole, like, the actual goal of the uh, antagonist of this movie is to summon the demon Payman yes. into Peter. Yes. And my, so my roommate kind of pointed out like a few key things, like especially in the dialogue. So when Tony Collette says to, because it's Annie, right? Says to Joni, like, you know, I wouldn't let her near my daughter, so I gave her my son. Opposite way around. Oh, opposite way around. Yeah, sorry. So yeah, I wouldn't let her near my son, so I gave her my daughter, and then boom, the you know, like relating back to like the daughter, like kind of like being sacrificed in a way. That I was wondering if that was like a, if that was purposeful. My my roommate also yelled at me about that. She was like, "Yes, of course it was." And I was like, "Okay, okay." And then her saying like, "I never wanted to be your mother." Um, and that she tried to like miscarry him. Oh, that part I thought was really actually happening, and I almost started crying because now because uh, Alex Wolf started crying, and I was just like, "Oh my god, Alex Wolf, I want to hold you." I think that was one of the things that got like the biggest reaction in both of our screenings too was when she said, "I never wanted to be your mom," because it's such a it's such a sacrilegious thing to admit. We all audibly a, did the same thing she did. We're like, "Oh, covered our mouth." Well, and, and as even like motherhood mm-hmm. sucks and it's hard, but it's like so sacrilegious to admit. The, that to to say that it's not just this perfect beatific experience to be a mom 
so my roommate my roommate like hypothesized that like oh like is that because she like subconsciously knew like this whole time that he was like meant to be like this like demon king and that this was like the grandmother's idea like this entire time i don't think annie knew really because i think that lee was so secretive about it but i think that once all of this started happening it would be very easy for her to look back on you know her father starving himself to death her brother saying that their mother tried to put people inside of him and then the, the her trying to kill them like the 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 waking up with paint thinner and like when well when she says i was trying to save you oh god so and it's interesting because like we see her taking medication throughout the film mm-hmm. and that is something like with paranoid schizophrenics that is like a, a problem is that sometimes like there are notable cases where like schizophrenic people kill other people specifically because they think that they are saving them from something. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that Annie thought that she had her father's schizophrenia and that's what the, like what she's taking medication for. And we see her a couple of times when she is like obviously getting too hysterical take a pill really fast and so i think that it's something mm-hmm. that she's maybe aware of but that like she has rationalized away as a mental illness as opposed to like oh legitimately my family is cursed and haunted by demons which is again something that you would do in real life if you thought that your family was trying to put demons inside of you you'd probably check yourself into a mental hospital not like assume that it was true i think it's both yeah okay her trying to save them like from like herself essentially but also like just just because i'm trying so hard to make all of the sense out of the ending like she knows but she doesn't want to know yes like i think there's just some kind of like subconscious thing there it helps keep any sympathetic that Mm -hmm. uh she like her default is not trying to kill them all the time like she is trying to sacrifice herself at a certain Mm -hmm. point the god of mitchis clearly tricked Mm her uh but uh she was trying to sacrifice Mm -hmm. herself even when it was really hard for her um i think one of the big things with this movie is anytime there's a question is it this or is it this I think the answer is usually both. Like, uh, is it how much of it is mental Mm -hmm. illness? How much of it is actual demon possession, like valid paranoia? I think the answer is yes. Uh, (laughs) Both of the things. Yes. Yay. Thank you for validating me. (laughs) But also with uh, like uh, one of the things, I think one of the few mysteries I am still kind of wrestling with is uh, how much this, there's Payman and there's Charlie. Are they the same? Are they one of the same? Are they different things occupying the same body? What is the balance there? And I think the answer is like, it's both. Like they're kind of the same, but I do think there are definitely separate. They are separate entities. And I think that's part of what makes the ending so upsetting. And I think I really like what Alex, like I, I really like Alex throughout the movie, but the way it just like sits on him at the ending as they're cor- coronating him. And it does not look like a demon in triumph. It looks like a child trapped in, their brother's body uh terrified and traumatized mm-hmm. of what is happening right now and so it's like this weird it's man it's it's not surprising that it'd be upsetting that uh the a one of the kings of hell is being uh crowned and is successfully transitioned to the human world it's also like this very personal tragedy of this child who did not ask for any of this mm-hmm. is uh doomed <laughs> into uh yeah. a miserable miserable uh fate that they did not want or sign up for well the prevailing theory that i've seen is that um charlie was inhabited by payment like as an infant and so i think it's kind of a weird thing mm-hmm. where they like grew up together yeah. kind of and so like Heyman is invested in Charlie, yeah. but also wants the correct yes. body. Um, the we were just talking about this right before we recorded. I yes. read a really good theory. <laughs> a really good yes. theory. 
yes yes hence hence sorry hence the i gave her my daughter yeah yeah but um the the really interesting and good theory that i read because we spent a couple like a while trying to figure out why the fuck charlie would eat that cake if she knows that she's allergic (laughs) to nuts but i read a theory that was like like the symbol is painted on the telephone pole we see that as they're going to the party the theory that i read that i like and that i kind of agree with is that payment as a separate entity wants to be in the correct body and knows that the body that he is in is deathly allergic to nuts and is like, Hey buddy, we're gonna, we're just gonna go eat this cake. We're just going to do that. We're going to eat it. <laughs> and then we see Charlie like panicking and getting water because like, I, I don't get the sense that she's stupid. Like, I don't think that she's so dumb that she would just eat yeah. a cake. That's obviously full of something she knows she's allergic to. So I feel like her, her leaning towards candy yeah. and snacks and stuff is just payments, like very subtle way of trying to constantly like get out of this body. Mm-hmm. And that, like, with the symbol being painted on the telephone pole by the coven or whatever, he was finally able to do that. Because the cult was also trying to machinate not only getting uh, Payman and Charlie into Peter's body, but also killing Charlie in the first place, because that had to happen. And I think that is... Mm -hmm. We see them try many routes to get uh, Charlie into Peter's body. We don't see a lot of external effort to try to kill Charlie in the first place. So I think that lines up with that pretty nicely as well. Oh, and that sweet little girl started when she couldn't breathe. Oh my God. That was horrible. That's one of the most horrible scenes I have ever seen. And, and we talked about this a little bit. It makes me so sad because it's not like Peter is a bad brother or that he's an asshole. He's like the most average teenage boy. Like he, and yeah, and like he doesn't, he doesn't really ditch her at the party. He's like, hey, I'll be right back in five minutes. Can you just hang out with your cake for a second? He didn't want to take her to that party in the first place because he knew she wouldn't. Yeah, want and he to go didn't. And like, anymore. I think in the way, I don't think it was even necessarily that he just wanted because he wasn't even alone with that girl in the room. I think he legitimately didn't want his little sister around him like smoking pot. Like yeah. I think mm-hmm. he wanted to be, you know, like a good role model or a good older brother in that regard trying to make the best of that situation mm-hmm. maybe like being a little selfish but like trying to live the best of both worlds like stuff that we've all done as young teenagers it's just like the it's a horrible tragedy because it happens in the minute he looks away yeah and mm-hmm. in both in, in both regards i guess he looks away and she's the cake he looks away there's a reason he's not in jail it's a terrible accident yeah and it's just Aww. yeah just watching her like claw at the window and I don't know, it's it's sad because as shocking as it is, it's almost a relief that like at least that part of the suffering is over for her because that is a thousand times worse to watch in a way because the, the decapitation is so fast that it's almost like you barely have time to even think about it. It's just like it's a word. <laughs> so that's I have a different perspective because I on a personal level, I had been in two car accidents in which both cars were totaled and I am very susceptible to car trauma in movies now. And there also a lot as a kid heard that the urban legend about like someone who, a kid who stuck their head out of the bus and got their head lopped off by uh, a tree passing by. And just a lot of that all coming together. Like I don't, there are not many times watching a movie that I've been as like upset and Related to something terrible that happened in the movie, as in that moment, just the the tragic accident of it, but like the horrible cost, and just it's just there's nothing you can do. It's just like oh, the the terrible terrible accident has happened. And you're just sitting there. What do you do? Or the two of the things I find the most incredible are just how how he slowly goes back home and just lies down in shock. And also how every time you see him after that, he is taking a bike. He is not driving the car. He is not interested in driving a car again. He's perfectly happy to take the bike. Uh, I read a really great review that said that her head 
is the period at the end of our question. Like <laughs> The worst thing is when he wakes up in the morning and then Tony Collette is screaming. Like when she's in the bedroom, just like on the floor. Oh my god. Like I was just like in tears. Just like I could not I don't know. Just that primal primal yeah, grief. Pain and suffering. This whole movie, <laughs> such pain and suffering. I, oh, but you, I knew, I knew Charlie was going to die. I knew it because as soon as Charlie goes out into the field and sees the grandmother sitting there with the fire, I was like, God damn it! But I like the little girl. Kill the boy. I did not know at all. So you are much more intuitive than us. <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just knew it. it there, it's just, and also like, it, I, I thought that was going back to the whole like, you know, children are born clairvoyant, and as they get older, they either um, like keep it or lose it. And so it would make sense to me. It made sense to me for her to see her grandmother since her grandmother was like the one who like took care of her and blah blah blah. Like I just knew, like okay, well if she's gonna go bye bye with grandma now. <laughs> No. Also, it does get it gives yeah. a lot of hints that the grandma like kind of nurtured the demon into her. Like one of the first things, yes. one of the first miniatures we see is the one that Tony Collette turns away, where the grandma's reaching out to the baby to breastfeed it herself. Like mm-hmm. when she when she says like you know I'm like oh she like wouldn't even let me feed you like she had to do it. There are so many things that Tony Collette just like throws out like they're just matter of fact that are so fucked up like that's one of them because first of all how can your 80 year old mother breastfeed your child and you're just like yeah okay that's normal and when she's just like well you know my dad starved himself to death and it was gross and then my brother hung himself and then also like i was forced to go to grief counseling so the biggest jump scares were the things she said <laughs> yeah no she just like oh. is so nonchalant about everything that has happened like around her and to her her saying everything in the group like the little like group thing what do you call it group meeting group therapy yeah. group, group therapy thing Thank you. Group therapy. The way she was just saying everything so matter-of-factly and so calmly is how I talk about my own trauma, and it does freak people out. It really does. <laughs> like, I um, I did an um, an interview with the Daily Beast. We'll see. We'll see when that. We'll see whatever ha- comes of that article. But, like, I was so eerily calm. And just talking about all these horrible, awful things. And I could I could hear her tense up. Like, I could feel it, like, on the other line. Like, and I was just like, oh, yeah. Like, when once you've, like, repeated it so many times, it's just, like, this matter-of-fact, like, thing that has just happened to you. And I never think about how it unsettles people. Because when she was just, like, saying it like it was no big deal, it unsettled me. Or Tony Collette, mm-hmm. it unsettled the hell out of me. So, so that affected me very personally. Thank you all. Yeah, and this is definitely a movie that I feel like does that because I think especially Mm -hmm. you and I both kind of view horror movies as like a catharsis and an outlet for dealing with bad things and this is a movie that kind of like wrestles that catharsis away from you by using the things that Mm -hmm. traumatize you as the horror focal point and and I think that's why I really can't stop thinking about it and why I'm sleeping so horribly is because it's just one of those movies that there isn't really there's no moment where it finally feels like everything's going to be okay there's no moment where even like when things are finally over it just cuts and leaves you just like sad (laughs) and and traumatized Mm -hmm. and there's just no like there's no victory anywhere in it and it's just so bleak all the way through (laughs) one of my go-to comparisons has been the movie kill list and especially with the ending and just how bleak it left me and it's a suffering 
Some good old suffering. It is suffering. Love suffering. Do you love suffering? <laughs> uh, another another interesting thing about the movie was uh, the score because Colin Stetson, of course, it's Colin Stetson. So, it's so minimal and so in the background, and I think you said that it almost seems like it's more to be there so that when it stops, it's startling but something mm-hmm. that i noticed on the second viewing because the first time we saw it we saw it at a theater that's like pretty it's newer it's downtown and it doesn't really have the best soundproofing yet so there was soundtrack leak from another movie that was playing so like there were some scenes where like you could hear like music playing and stuff like in the other theater and on the second viewing i noticed that in some of the scenes there are just these very low uh not it's not even music it's just low noises uh, background noises like when she's going up to Joan's apartment for the first time and she's standing in the hallway and looking at the doormat there's a very low like rumbling noise almost that cuts as soon as mm-hmm. she opens the door snapping I'm sorry <laughs> it's probably bad for editing anyway it stops like as soon as she opens the door and I realized that it had been there the whole time and not um and it wasn't just like sound bleed over from the other theater and it was just another one of those things where it's like oh this whole movie is literally just like all the scary stuff was with us the call was coming from inside the house (laughs) another fun uh easter egg that ben pointed out to me because we were talking about this before i came over to record was that when joan runs into annie at the art supply store she's literally just loading chalkboards into the back of the car and i didn't notice that either time so that's not even her grandson's fucking chalkboard she's just pure evil (laughs) oh my god (laughs) or like when uh when they get done some like talking to her grandson whatever his name is she said like she tells him i'll be right back and then she gives, gives the, candle. the candle and that's the other thing too i was like so is this like a specific like payment summon candle well she just <laughs> doesn't actually need the candle because she wasn't actually communing with her grandson yeah and uh, that's another great scene with like the light adjustment <laughs> and just seeing the way and like throughout just seeing the ways that uh joni is specifically manipulating her like when she first tells her about the summoning outside or about the seance outside of the craft store just the way she just keeps grabs her and turning to face her and is very she's like pushing herself on annie especially when they first meet you think like oh she's trying really hard to like help this other person who suffered great loss because she knows she needs like to talk about her to cope with no no she's trying to I felt like she was like, I felt like she was enchanting her. Like that was something that I kept noticing was that whenever Annie is with her, it's like, she has like a, like, it reminded me of like a vampire's thrall almost. Like it seemed to me like she was very specifically like trying to like kind of trance her into just listening to whatever she had to say. I think part of that Annie is seeking an outlet. Like she's seeking therapy. She's trying to find a way to like healthily, healthily process these things, someone to confide in. And Joni is offering that to her. So in that, like subverting the very like providing the very thing she's been looking for and not finding and except it's all a trap because i get the feeling that they live in a very small town that her mom like literally ruled and that's because there are so many people in those final shots waiting in the woods and around that i and i know i know that they must have been throughout the movie And yeah, it's just like a gotta collect them all scenario where you gotta point them all out. <laughs> just know that there's oh, if you think there's thing, I have to watch this forty more times. I know. If you think there's a cult outside watching you, there probably are at least a few people just hanging out, checking on your whereabouts, seeing what you're up to, mm-hmm. dropping little seance pamphlets in with the mail <laughs> after the mail has been delivered. Mm-hmm. 
Well, and that was, that was another thing too. Like, obviously she was like, well, fuck, she didn't take the pamphlet. Now I got to go find her <laughs> and make her do a seance. That's, that's the other thing too. I felt so bad because it's like so obvious that she obviously knows what she's doing. And Annie is so at first skeptic and then so desperate that it just like doesn't register at all. She just like wants so mean an answer yeah and i read an interesting theory that when Mm -hmm. charlie possesses annie for a second during their family seance that that's the only time we actually get to hear actual charlie like talking to her well being afraid and talking to her mom and asking and so i very much get the feeling that like this poor spirit is just like wandering around afraid and confused and attached to this demon just like along for the ride ari aster doesn't talk like the there's clearly a lot of personal uh, uh, trauma that goes into this, and he pointedly does not talk about it. He, like, he's like, oh, the movie's there. I don't want to talk he about did, that stuff. And he, I wonder, gave, he gave a vague interview where he was like, yeah, it's based on something personal. Yeah. I wonder if there was like a religious element too, because I don't like I don't I did not feel this like religious horror as strongly as say the witch, but there's some element to this cult that's worshiping something, and people like the the mom explicitly tells her like I know it's hard, but like this will be good for you. <laughs> this will all work out in the end. So basically, I'm I'm doing this to you to save you. I have a dumb question. <laughs> there are no dumb questions. Yes, there are. Um... <laughs> Oh, I see. It's my. I tell my students, really, there's no dumb questions. But like sometimes it's like, so you just weren't listening to me lecture for. The- okay, all right. I'm just gonna go fuck myself then. Thank you. How does Annie die in the end? Oh, okay. This actually confused me too. She's using a wire to saw off her head. Mm-hmm. I thought she was like had two knives and was like stabbing on nope. either side. So I was really confused when her headless body showed up. But no, she's like sawing back and forth mm-hmm. with a wire. But what? But why why did that happen? I think it was just to prove a point. Like, I feel like the the impression that I got was that she was in the way for all of Peter and Charlie's lives, stopping the cult from fulfilling, you know, their, their desires and their purpose. So I felt like decapitating her was kind of just, I don't know, like forcing her decapitated body to bow before payment. There's one thing I don't totally get is the decapitation that goes throughout. Is it specifically the metaphor of cutting off the head? Like the the, like the, the grandma was not decapitated when she dies, but when she shows up, her head is also lopped off. I'm, one, I'm wondering if it's just kind of an occult thing. I don't or, know a lot I'm, about that. I'm like, I, like, that's what I'm wondering. Like, if it's it's part of the sa- like of a sacrifice they're making to payment, they're like cutting off their own heads, Possibly. or is it because Charlie was decapitated? I'm not sure. It could be because Charlie was decapitated. I I also agree that it might be kind of like a sacrifice thing. But another thing that just popped into my head is maybe it's to cut payment off from his human emotions left over from being bonded with charlie for so long you get rid of the faces you get rid of the grandma that she cared about you get rid of the mom that she cared about her dad is burnt to a crisp and unrecognizable and she's inside of peter so she can sound like you know like she can look in a mirror i guess but i think it's kind of like to to isolate her and let payment fully take over maybe Mm. yeah i think it's i think it's ambiguous for sure (laughs) choose your suffering um, but yeah, so I don't know. I think we're kind of wrapping up a little bit. I think so too. Do we have Lauren? Do you have final thoughts? Okay, another dumb statement. <laughs> so the cult, the cult <laughs> dug, dug up her grave. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they dug up the grave, and okay. it was like a like a, a ritual to put her in the attic, which is also creepy because if you think like, when did they do that? 
<laughs> like they when, were around all the yes, time. When, they, when the fuck did they do like they that? They went into the house, put a body, decapitated a body somewhere, put it into the house, lit candles, and did all of this shit, and nobody noticed. Maybe from when she was at the craft store. Yeah. They do comment a couple times on the smell in the house, but yeah. something upsetting has happened to distract them after the fact mm-hmm. and not investigate. Yeah. Well, and also, like, once you're aware something smells, like, if you're just there all the time, you don't, like, you start to not notice it. Uh, just I like... don't like that. I don't like that, you guys. I really don't like that. <laughs> well, there's also so many little, uh, Ben pointed out uh, a scene where you're, where they're pulling into the house, like, with the camera, like, uh, the, the shot is pulling up to the house, and the edges are blurred mm-hmm. like the way that like stuff blurs at the edges of your eyes so i wonder if almost like the camera is like a the thing that is watching like obviously the camera is the thing that's watching them but like that we're supposed to feel actively like from that. the perspective yes of the people like not them. just that it's being filmed but that like the way that we have all these weird like long shots inside of small spaces and stuff like that like it's very much like a detached presence we trail after the characters slowly a yeah lot of like it seems like maybe that's what all of that is getting at you know the weird pose that peter does when he's like kind of like possessed by payment and smashes his face against the desk mm-hmm. apparently i have to check this but it is the same pose that the uh charlie statue in the treehouse is in at the very end oh that... with like the one hand like right in the air I thought maybe he was just having like a seizure. Really? I thought something was like holding his arm back and then smashed his face yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah no. I, can we, before we wrap up, can we just talk about how weirdly like disturbing like the nose smashing scene is? It is. <laughs> like, like, I wonder who sits there and thinks, you know, it would be really fucking unnerving. If like we just we just smash his head against a desk a bunch of times and then he just starts screaming and 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 then I, and then I put that together later like the smile and everything but just the act of that was imagine being in that classroom. I think maybe the biggest part of that is when it because st- it doesn't like it takes a while to cut away so you sit and you hear him scream several times which really gets just how helpless he was in that moment like, well and it's also like it's something that you you would never do that to yourself that's such a like a uh, it's very it, like it's very hard to like break your own nose i feel like that's that you it's just not something you would ever do to yourself and so then to one have to experience that and then to be like blamed for it at the same time and how helpless he must feel like he was, he, I mean, he had been freaked out, but for something to actually possess your body and mm-hmm. force you to do something terrible. Yeah. To make your nose match your sister's because you're about to be possessed by the demon payment soon. Uh, oh. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a dumbass. Oh, that's what, I, that's what I thought, but like I wasn't sure. But oh God, I hate everything in this world. Yeah, there, I just I feel like this is a movie we're we're all gonna have to watch like a hundred times, and we'll still be like texting each other like I noticed this this time. Like, just so. Also, do you want to talk about something nice? Because I'm feeling pretty terrible right now. Yeah, uh, well, we did the opposite. Uh-huh. Yeah, we'll get into that in a second for our, uh, our recommendations. But yeah, so. Um, I think it's safe to say that we all really liked this movie and that we are on board with Ari Aster as a, as a, whatever he wants to call it, but in our hearts, a horror director. A24 has already picked up his next movie for production. Yeah, listen, like, Apparently they're going to be, according to deadlines, going to be their largest production to date. I'm not, I want to find oh, a, I yeah. want to find or make a list of all the movies they purchased versus those that they produced. 
and see if there's like anything notable there in terms of the differences. He he said on the the one of the Ringer podcasts he did an interview with Sean Fantasy. I can't remember exactly what. I think it's actually going to be closer to the witch and that I think there's some kind of like rustic horror element to it like it's, folk uh, horror it's a folk uh, horror yeah I saw something about it too but I don't really remember yeah so oh good more suffering <laughs> more talking goats um yeah so <laughs> I think that the wraps our discussion uh the there's not a lot of trivia out yet because the movie just came out so I thought it would just be fun to mention that in Australia they accidentally played the trailer for Hereditary before a showing of Peter Rabbit resulting in probably many ruined childhoods <laughs> and speaking uh, of that trailer ugh, like what I'm a like, lion ass trailer. Yeah, but like, <laughs> but like in a fun way. Like yeah. they even flipped the shot of her smashing her head against the uh, against the trap door. They flip it upside down in the trailer, so it looks like it's just against the floor. It's lion, but I think that's like so clever. Yeah, I think that the trailer was so nicely misleading. Like people, I, I saw a comment that irritated me talking about how A24 has a marketing problem because their trailers are so misleading. And I was like, that is the opposite of what you think. They don't. And like, I will um, give that to them only on It Comes at Night because that was like, that was like really deceptive. I think this was deceptive in a good way. But it's not a studio-wide marketing problem. And well, and the, the person had... I think they're really good at marketing their movies, clearly with, by their success. Well, the person had mentioned like how long until GP audience, like general audiences just give up on A24 movies. And I was like, well, here's the thing. A24 has a built-in audience at this point of film lovers and critics and whatever. So, and all of their movies are like $2 to make. So even like... Hereditary, if it makes thirteen million, will be have made back over its budget already. Like all the people paying attention to who the studio is, ninety five percent plus of those are probably like stands for the studio who get excited about seeing the movie. I don't think that like it's weird that A twenty four and probably Bloomhouse to some extent have like a fan base that a studio has a fan base, but I don't think that people are going to say like, oh, this is an A twenty four movie. I'm not going to see it. I can't imagine there are going to be that many people because mm-hmm. most people don't care because usually it doesn't matter. Well, and also in a way, there are like there are like different rules for horror movies. There just are, just because of the way that gen like audiences react to them and how subjective they are, and how so many people want only to be scared and not to experience mm-hmm. any other emotion. And I don't. We have uh, this. This episode is kind of a nice look back on our year preview, where we talked about this a little bit. And I was I was really listening to that episode the other day because we had talked about doing like an update. Mm-hmm. And um, it's funny because I, I went on like a six or seven minute rant in that episode about how I didn't want to have the genre conversation about this movie. And it's too late because it already happened, and it's already happening. I don't think it's happening as much as it did with previous movies, I though. Just because like. It- <laughs> I straight up just saw somebody who's like, it's more of a drama. And I was like, how many dramas are you watching with multiple decapitations? If they can have horror comedy, then like horror dramas. <laughs> it just makes sense. Like, I don't know. It's like, I, yes, it is a family <laughs> drama. It's all, it can also be a horror movie. Was it Ian who said that horror movies don't have to be scary? I don't, I, 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 don't I, saw, know. I saw it on Twitter. Somebody said that. Oh, I think, yeah, Ian. That, yeah, because I retweeted it. And that's just smart because Ian's, I think... <laughs> I think people forget that horror. I also tweeted that. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, you're very smart. Also, we're all smart. (laughs) But like, I think people forget that horror as a genre is not necessarily about fear. It's about I don't know. It's I don't know. It's just it's wider than that. They treat it like it's not a like if it actually oh like this it has themes about the human condition and explores Mm -hmm. like things like trauma. So like yeah, that's. What does. horror does. You like, yeah, there's dogs. empty trash, but there's also empty trash in every other genre that doesn't mean <laughs> anything or tries to be something and fails. Like, so. Um, <laughs> anyways, at least we saved it for the end. Hereditary, <laughs> a horror movie. <laughs>
Tyler, so, what do you want to recommend? <laughs> oh yeah, recommendations. Uh, I mentioned mine already, but uh, Kill List by the British director out uh, Ben Wheatley. Uh, it is uh, one of the other movies that has made me feel similarly uh, upset and despondent and actually shares certain similar plot elements. It's about a British hitman who, and it follows him as he and his partner go on three jobs and there's something increasingly weird about each of the people he's killing and it ends in a very upsetting way that you will not see coming. That just leaves you sitting like, oh, spoilers, but it's going to make you feel despondent and terrible. Like, oh my God, I guess, I guess there will be no happy ending in this one, (laughs) but it's, it's really good. Kayla, your recommendation? Uh, We already talked about it a couple of times, but I rewatched to follow up on Hereditary, uh, The Witch yesterday. Uh, with my brother because he apparently he realized halfway through he had seen it before, but whatever. Uh, um, and I think that that's another good example of a movie that is not necessarily scary. That is uh, like a, a classic horror. I don't understand how existential dread is not scary. But... I, whatever. <laughs> but um, I, 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 it was a nice chaser to hereditary because while it has this like unending dread and existential terror, whatever, I think it has a very happy ending. Yeah, it's kind of uplifting in a way. Uh, it, no, it is because, and, and I talked about Literally. this. Literally. Yes. Well, I talked about this a lot because, like, and Faculty of Horror did an episode on this recently that. Um, uh, now, okay, now we've hit all the We've hit all the things we get free card. promo for. Uh, they did a really great episode where they um, talked about a lot of the things that I also feel about this movie that I feel like are not usually a part of the larger conversation. But like, Thomason's life sucks. Oh. She is literally on her knees every day afraid that she is going to hell begging for redemption nobody in her family cares about her except for like like her dad lies and gets her in trouble her mom outwardly hates her her siblings are assholes Caleb wants to fuck her like there is just like nobody in her life that is like actually like on her side and like unconditionally loves her and so when we have this same family implosion build build up to Thomason getting to choose for the first time in her life what she wants to do and like how she wants to live and she gets to go and see the world and given the the way that religion is laid out in that movie it kind of seems like god is the shit heel and satan is the good guy (laughs) and i'm like i'm into that (laughs) like it's 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 a great movie and a great I just spoiled it, but I mean, we've talked about it on here before and you've probably all already seen it. But I think that if you watched Hereditary and felt very upset and want to have like a similar experience that doesn't leave you des- like desolate inside, <laughs> The Witch is a good follow-up. I think The Witch is probably still my favorite H24 horror movie too. It's just such a good... like. Uh, it's gorgeous, uh, yeah. Lauren, your recommendation. Okay, so I'm going to make a thing now, uh, like every episode, where I recommend something really good and something like really terrible that you should watch anyway. All right, so the thing that you should watch, because it's so good, uh, it's called Terrifier. And it was released, it's as, I think, I guess, so I guess it was technically released in 2016, um, like a small, like, like low budget, like horror movie. And then Epic Pictures or something is picking it up for like a wide release. It is so amazing. Um, it has an 80% Rotten Tomatoes. It's actually on the front page of Rotten Tomatoes, like under Hereditary as like best, like horror movies of this year. It is so terrifying which is great because it's called terrifier but the the cl- the clown the way they made him look 
the the fact that he doesn't talk the whole goddamn movie it's all man and you know they had like all of five dollars to make this movie and yet it's it's so good and i can't stop thinking about it and like watching all the really gory scenes like over and over again yeah i'm looking at these pictures not a fan he's not he's <laughs> creepy the guy uh the guy who plays him uh, follows Paul on my Instagram today. I was like, hi. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really, really, really good. Um, I recommend it. It's it's like it has all the elements like of just like, uh, it's just fun. I mean, it's sad, but it's fun. It's, it's just not for if you don't like gore and like guts and like eyeballs like missing on a people who are alive and stuff like just don't watch it i guess and i don't know how you listen to this entire podcast right <laughs> it looks like you can maybe stream it on amazon okay i've just i this. it was it was given to me on a jump drive <laughs> <laughs> let's see if i can try it'll probably get added to shutter at some point if it's like such a niche like weird movie yeah it's from dread central presents or that's who picked it up um yeah, I'm trying to find it. But yeah, if I find it, I'll try to find if it's available or when it'll be available. And I'll include that in the notes. I'll include if you where you can find all these movies in the notes. That's what the notes are for. We have all kinds of research and links there. <laughs> yes. To, uh, what's your bad movie? Oh, um, so <laughs> Nothing But Trouble uh, is a 90s horror comedy movie directed by Dan Aykroyd. This is the only movie that uh, he directed and is currently sitting at a whopping 5% on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it's so bad. All right. <laughs> I love it so much. It has such a great cast. Like It's Dan Aykroyd, Chevy Chase, Demi Moore, John Candy, Tupac what? is in it. Okay. And and yet it is the worst movie I've ever seen. <laughs> and um, what's funny is, like, the last podcast on the left, like, brings it up, like, every five episodes. And since they've, start- since they've started talking about the movie, like, the t- Rotten Tomatoes score has gone down because more people have watched That's it. Um, it was at an I eight, and now it. it's at a five. It's beautiful. <laughs> um, I-, I don't really know how to explain it, but it's just, like, if I need to watch something mindless um even though like when you google it like a thing comes up of like like the, the 16 most traumatic things about watching nothing it but trouble experiencing it <laughs> listening to it realizing you paid money for it yeah i mean i just i don't know i mean chevy chase is is in really terrible awful makeup his nose is a penis that's the prosthetic john candy's in drag the whole time um, I don't know if you guys know this song, The Humpty Dance by Digital Underground, but they have they have a very long, long musical performance in the movie. It's just really great. I'm like giggling like a schoolgirl. Awesome. So if there's one it. thing that people take away from this <laughs> podcast, it should be to watch that movie. I am here to tell you about our social media and our upcoming schedule, which is actually scheduled, which is nice. Next week, we'll be recording an episode with first-time podcast guest Tyler Grimes, who Tyler and I actually featured on his podcast last Halloween with like a countdown of 
Halloween movies. Uh, we are doing Monster Squad because we're <laughs> our first run of not we literally have like three Halloween themed movies right in a row uh, with this that and then the week after that we are planning on doing a Practical Magic episode or two weeks after that Monster Squad with Tyler Grimes Practical Magic with just the three of us and then we'll see you from there Christmas in July Halloween in June yeah so as uh as much as always we are always hoping that people want to be on the podcast or whatever and now that the floor is pretty wide open feel free to message us at ltrfipod at gmail.com or on twitter at ltrfipod if you want to look at some or just bother me on twitter if you'd like bother lauren she's very popular lauren recruited a new listener while we were recording this episode Lauren is like the best marketing tool of all time. Damn, she's so popular and cool. <laughs> anyway, uh, so yes, you can reach out to us at LTRFIPod at Twitter or any of the three of us individually on Twitter. Uh, Lauren is at Motel Siren. Tyler is at Tyler Hannon. I am at Personal Maps. And yeah, so I think that we're feeling a little uh, invigorated as to our podcasting schedule with being able to do whatever we want, which I guess we were always able to do, but no, we're, <laughs> we're, just, embracing it. we're just letting it happen. Yeah. Um, we have some other ideas for some fun seasonal stuff, some other interesting uh, series, I guess. And yeah, um, if you listen next week, we will have a great episode and then kind of sneak teaser. We'll have a very fun announcement to go with our practical magic episode. So stay tuned. Uh, in the meantime, I see. I can't use. I'll stay tuned too because I I also don't know what that announcement is. <laughs> yes, you do. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You're gonna be like, oh, die. Do you know what that is afterwards? But um, I don't want to use our previous mean tagline because we had the world's Jurassic Park connoisseur on, and it was a fun episode that I wasn't able to be on. Also, so feels... new 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 uh direction for the podcast. New tagline. Yeah, we haven't figured it out yet. I guess we could just go with um, A24 is a great movie studio oh and always gosh, will be. No, no. Also, they retweeted my tweet about uh, Hereditary, and I followed it up with a tweet with our um, hashtag A24 sweatshirts for LTRFI. So I'm hoping that someday we are going to get them to feel bad enough to give us those sweatshirts. So, I feel worse now than when I watched Hereditary. So, again, for that free promo for the studio who should give us sweatshirts, A24 is a great movie studio and always will be. We'll see you next time. And remember, keep that fucking face off your face. <laughs> no, we started with that. Keep that fucking hashtag off your ta- timeline. <laughs>